Hey everybody, thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front on the Chicago Podcast Network. I want to thank everybody for coming out to our big event on December 17th for the Star Wars premiere where we had a bunch of people come out, sign up for the podcast, gave away some prizes. We'll be doing another event like that very soon. Other than that, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you for downloading this episode. And here we go. Hey, everybody. Uh, joining me over the interwebs and Skype is my good buddy, AJ Signary. We're going to do Out Front with AJ and Nick today, and uh, we got a few things to get into. We want to talk about the event, uh, basically going to do some 2015 wrap-up stuff, And uh, but I wanted to start the show. First of all, AJ, say hi to the good people. Hey, people. And there he is, folks. And he, we're back over the interwebs after AJ was live and in person with us last Thursday. But before we get into all of that, I just want to take a minute and... Uh, briefly mention that uh, we lost as the day that we're recording this Larry Lujak, a former DJ from WLS and then later on WRLL 1690 uh, passed away last night uh, from esophageal cancer and uh, if you don't know who Larry Lujak is, what you should know is that he's kind of the precursor to Steve Dahl, Howard Stern, John uh, Johnny Brandmeier, uh, Kevin Matthews a Chicago radio legend and one of the people who we kind of owe everything to, at least as far as talk radio goes. AJ, do you have any memories or any stories you know about Larry Lujak you want to share or anything like that? I just remember when I did listen to WLS and Larry Lujak came on that. It was always like this um, contentious feeling I had. It's like, you know, you sound like an asshole, but you're fun listening to. So I don't know how I feel about that. Kind of that same feeling I have from time to time with Howard Stern, Man Cow, and a few other quote-unquote shock jocks and stuff like that. And, yeah, Larry Lujak was one of that um, precursors to the shock jock um, personality. Um, and I, you can hear it from people who have listened to Larry Lujak over the years and they kind of picked up his quote-unquote formula on how to do that or people had just been influenced by him and i mean as much as he he was what he was um there are a lot of radio people who do owe their contribution to larry lujak well the, the the animal stories is a great example that was something that was picked up later on by uh kevin matthews and kind of ran with i i'll be honest with you i was never the the biggest, like, I, he was just at the edge of where, um, by the time I was, I guess the way to put it was by the time I was listening to radio and understanding it, I, he had kind of already started going. He was off of WLS by 89 for, for good. Uh, but I do know, and I, and I want to share this, this is, uh, this is a story from the Chicago Tribune on December 4th, 1985. You'll love this. It is is this for real or is it a radio land put on to snare an additional rating point? That's the question Chicago listeners are asking about a 520 walkout on WLS radio by personality Steve Dahl. Les Grobstein, who was at the station at the time, says this is a real thing. Dahl, who has a well-owned reputation as a creative wild man of afternoon Chicago radio, abandoned his microphone and studio 100 minutes early, leaving it to an invading Larry Lujak, the station's well-known morning personalities. Uh, Lou Jack said to Grobstein, do you love me? Larry, please don't interrupt us, says Steve Dahl. There are a lot of lies on this show. Steve Dahl, if you want to do this, do it on your own show. Larry, just get out. Either that or I leave. 
I want to see if you can break my leg before I ram your head against the wall. Dahl and associate Gary Meyer leave the studio. Hey, Steve, can't you take a joke? Can't you take what you've been dishing out for the last five years? This is a story that I've heard before, and it's from the Tribune. But Larry Lujak got into an on-air confrontation with Steve Dahl, forcing Steve Dahl to leave the studio before they got into a fist fight. It's one of my, uh, I, I just from the stories of radio uh, from the old days that I love, back when you could misbehave at work and you wouldn't get sued by everybody involved. Right. So just uh, just a quick mention of the fact that Larry Lujak has passed away, and he is a Chicago radio legend and singing as we're the Chicago Podcast Network, as I like to think of it, the evolution of Chicago talk radio. We, we at least can uh, do a little reach out there and, and pay a little tribute. So Larry Lujak passed away at the age of uh, 62. And uh, it's it's unfortunate, but at the same time, you know, the guy led a pretty good life, although 62 is young, and uh, I, I feel bad for his family and uh, our thoughts and prayers, as much as they are, are with them. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Other than that, AJ, let's uh, kind of dive into what happened last week with us. Let's uh, let's have some fun with that. You drove all the way here. It took you, what, two hours to get here? Hour and a half. Two hours due to traffic or construction, rather, but yeah. Yeah. So AJ came out to the Pickwick Theater. For those of you guys who didn't see it, we were on, uh, I was on NBC5 News, ABC7 News uh, over that two day period. We picked up a lot of new listeners. Hopefully, you guys are listening to the show right now. Thank you so much for subscribing on iTunes and Podcast uh, Addict. The, uh, I thought the event went really well. More importantly, I thought the movie was really good. What did you think, AJ? Did you enjoy that night? I really did. Um, you know, I was really interested in how the night would play out and everything. And I'm glad for those who um, have listened to our various reviews of the episodes of Star Wars who indeed listened to it and those who hadn't and, you know, were very interested in Chicago Podcast Network and um, uploaded or subscribed on their podcast addict or podcast on their iPhones and everything, which is really cool. I even heard like a, a teen saying that he is going to listen to our podcast. So if you, if, if you're that gentleman, you know, thank you for listening and hopefully you are enjoying what we're providing. Um, I just thought as the night proceeded um, up to the viewing of the movie and thereafter, I mean, there was like a lot of, energy and you know with a 900 seat theater and we pretty much went to close to 500 people i mean that's that's nothing to sneeze at i mean i don't think a lot of theaters can say that especially that size of a theater and what have you but um it was a great night and you know if you missed it you know hopefully you can come out to the next event that chicago podcast network does yeah, they, we, we've spoken with the theater. There's going to be some more events going forward. They do a lot of uh, specialty events at the theater that we're going to kind of talk to them about doing uh, next year and stuff like that. And, and, and But it went really well. I, I want to thank Dino and Dave, the owners of the Pickwick, who uh, went above and beyond in their generosity and sharing the place with us and uh, allowing us to do what we did. Uh, they seemed really happy with the publicity that they were getting, and I, and I hope that they were. And I've spoken to them since the event, and they seemed like they were they had a great time. I want to thank, you know, there's a lot of people involved, AJ, to help us get to that point. I want to first and foremost thank my dad because he is the uh, 
he, he was the bankroll of that whole event. I want to thank uh, Laura and Emily, who are out there getting people to sign up for the podcast for raffle tickets. Thank you to them. I want to thank my sister and her brother, and her sister, my sister and her husband, my brother-in-law. That's how I wanted to phrase it. Who. Uh, brought tables and chairs and were supportive of the whole thing. I want to thank my mom for just being my mom because if I don't thank her in this whole thing, AJ, she'll come back and there'll be punishment. So, thank you, mom. Uh, it, it was it was a whole it was a blast and we we got the chance to do a little bit of Jedi. We were in a in a lobby with a lot of people. Like you were saying, the energy that night was incredible. Like I I, I felt. Uh, by the time we sat down for the movie, AJ, I can't speak to you, but I could tell, by the way, when we were watching the movie that you kept wanting to talk because <laughs> you kept, like, throwing stuff out as the movie was running. And it, and it was it, it, no problem with it because it's that kind of night. But I could tell that both of us were in that situation where our adrenaline had been going so long that by the time the movie started, I don't know about you, but it took me about half an hour before I settled into the movie. Would you about the same thing for you? No. Um, I didn't sell until after the movie because I mean there was a lot of things in that movie that I was excited about and like kind of questioning too, you know. And um, I, I mean that's just just me, and you know I mean yeah, I mean I didn't know what other people's responses were because there's one there's times I wanted to talk throughout like kind of like Mister Theater Three Thousand. It's like it's like what the hell. <laughs> There, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you're saying, and and I want to talk about the movie for a little bit because it is the biggest story going right now. I don't know if you've have you been following the box office totals that the movie's been making. I haven't. Um... All right, so let me let me explain to you because I did. I followed it all weekend. Thursday night for the preview shows, it made fifty two million dollars. That's the highest his in the history of one day, uh, in the history of American cinema. Right, domestic. In two days, it made one hundred and twenty-five. It made one hundred and twenty-five million, which is another seventy something on Friday. Then on Saturday, it made a hundred million, and on Sunday, it made another hundred and something, which put its grand total at like domestically. It came out to two hundred and sixty-three million dollars domestic, five hundred and twenty-seven million dollars internationally. By Sunday, and then on Monday, on a week when a lot of people have off work, it made another $40 million domestically. It is now sitting worldwide at $610 million in six days. It's averaging $100 million a day. Wow. That movie, and rumor has it that Harrison Ford gets 1% of the gross. <laughs> Not the net. And for those of you who don't understand the difference, gross is what it makes total. Net is everything else removed. He gets 1% of the gross, which means that right now he's making $66 million. Well, then I'm... Oh, no, no, that'd be 10%. I'm residual is. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm horrible at math. He, he's positioned himself at this point to, by the time this whole thing is over, to make $200 million of a $2 billion box office run for being in one movie. Now, granted, it's his movie, but that's one hell of a deal. Oh, yeah. I mean... That's Tony Stark numbers. It is, and I, I think... I mean, there's a lot to that. I mean, sure, it's Star Wars, so, I mean, there's a little bit of 
obvious stuff with that. Um, even, you know, how far apart Jedi and Force Awakens is, is another factor. But I think, I, I still feel because of the cast that came back, because it was J.J. Abrams, and this new shiny factor of new actors, new characters... Um, added a lot to this movie, and because of that, and, it, it, and I think that would make or break with the new characters in Force Awakens. Because if they were just new characters for the sake of new characters, I don't think it would have made that much amount of money. Um, but because they were great actors in those roles, I think that made the difference. I feel. Well, and and, and a credit to that cast is I am now more interested to find out what happens with them than I am with what is going on with the old cast, which is the a testament to this movie. It, it, it made me very interested in, first of all, I love John Boyega's character of Finn. Uh, Oscar Isaac as Poe Dameron is, is fantastic. He's really funny. Uh, some of the scenes that he has early on in the movie are uh, just the great little laugh moments. And unlike the prequels where it was all, it felt like Keystone Cops style comedy. Uh, it, it, it felt natural. It, you know, you and I had talked. You had spoken many times about how your biggest concern was them trying to shoehorn in comedy that didn't work. And I feel like in this instance, they really did a good job of separating that and really giving it a run where the humor in the movie worked. It, it didn't feel as cheesy as others, uh, as some of the other Star Wars have felt. Well, I mean, but that's the thing is not just the, not, not just a comedy, but we're talking Star Wars Force Awakens in the 21st century. Jedi was still in the 20th century, you know, and the references and the humor was much different than this one. Um and again, with the whole mix-up of the prequels were leaving the 20th century, going to the 21st century, um, they still had to be fixated on a certain way of the dialogue needed to happen, some comp comedic references, so forth and so forth. Um, to all that saying of this movie was so well-written to meet the new modern, or excuse me, the more contemporary audience in order for them to do this. And if you look, you know, the cinematography of it was so so great that, I mean, it didn't look as cheesy as the prequels did, you know, and I think that speaks more to J.J. Abrams' more directorial experience than anything else. Yeah, it, it felt like, first of all, it felt like a real movie. Uh, the prequels felt like, I don't even know what you would describe it as. It, 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 they were more like B movies. Yeah, and this these felt like this felt like a real you know big studio deal. There was also the factor to me that uh, the more you watch, because I've seen the movie three times now, and it, it, it's 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 growing on me even more so of my appreciation of it. There are things that I. As a fan of all of it, there are things that I wasn't the the happiest with as bad, and I'm not, you know, this isn't like 
trying to take away from somebody else to, to elevate something, but it's just that there, as a fan of the original movies, if, if you look at it from that perspective, it's very much episode four, just kind of redone. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I can see that in some ways. Because um, someone asked me, how's this um, related or different from New Hope? And I'm like, well, I, that, I don't see it that way. I, I see it as the extension of Return of the Jedi. Then, you know, New Hope, because those are two different um, points of the story than anything else. Force Awakens is, is great, as I said, because it is an extension from the original trilogy, but it's also a movie by itself. You know, um, sure, you have to know some of the context on why, you know, we're seeing Han Solo at this point point in time leia why luke skywalker is in a beard in a robe in this fantastic exotic island and everything um you have to understand all that but i still feel you can still show new you can still show people an introduction to star wars through this movie at some point yeah i know this unlike the prequels where i would tell somebody like don't don't make someone's first movie this you know, any of the first of the prequels, this feels like a movie you could show somebody and be like, look, you don't like Star Wars or, or you've never seen St You can watch this movie and kind of get caught up on everything. Because even the, and, and we, we've talked about it several times uh, when we were doing all the different episode reviews, you know, the, the crawl in this movie's first line is Luke Skywalker has vanished. Now, even if you're not a fan of Star Wars, you know the name Luke Skywalker and you know he's a Jedi. So that line in and of itself kind of propels you into the story. And and by the way, I I, I said it the night that we did the like 10-minute review after the movie, but I was right in our predictions, and he was the MacGuffin. He was barely in the, he wasn't in the movie at all, really. And right. he became the, the, the focus of the plot. The, the other term is uh, flibber majibbit is what they call it on uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And it's just like this thing within the story that may, that what the story is about, but it can be anything. In this instance, it happened to be the, one of the most beloved characters in fiction. And, right. Go ahead. No, I was to say, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and you know, I, maybe this may make sense to you. He feels that um, Harrison Ford's character Han Solo was more of Obi Wan in Force Awakens than anything else. Yeah, I've heard. And I don't. I don't. I don't really agree with that. I don't. I, I, don't I don't either. I don't feel that he was Obi Wan Kenobi. I feel that you know Harrison Ford for years complained that the biggest issue he had with playing Han Solo was that it wasn't a very interesting character to play, and he's right in some aspects of it. I mean, to people like me who go, well, who cares? Just play the role. But in this movie in particular. He's not Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi is the one who comes and finds Luke and is like his teacher. He doesn't teach Rey anything. He's not a mentor. He's more of a father figure at some points. But realistically, he's Han Solo. He's he's a legend. I feel like that's the difference between Obi-Wan and Han Solo. When Obi-Wan shows up in Episode Four, he's not a legend to Luke. He's just a guy. When they meet Han Solo, they're like, you're... Like, their reaction is that of the audience, of you're Han Solo, you're the, like, like not you're Harrison Ford, you're Han Solo, you're the general who fought with the rebellion, 
and and they're impressed by him and they're shocked that they've found him and he plays it that way. But I, I, I couldn't help but think, actually, of The X-Files when I think about this movie in a weird way. Do you want to know why? Mm. When you watch The X-Files, the dynamic of the first seven seasons is Mulder's the believer and Scully is the skeptic, right? right. As the show kind of got away from that, it started to fall apart a little bit. But there came a point later on where Scully became a believer as well. And it was an important part of her character that she'd seen enough and experienced enough that she became a believer. Han Solo's early scenes in Star Wars are of a smart-ass guy who even through Return of the Jedi, you know, he doesn't believe that Luke is a Jedi. He doesn't. He, he, he even when Chewie says, like, a Jedi Knight, he goes, I'm out of it for a little bit and everyone gets delusions of grandeur. And if you think about it, Assuming that all we ever see of Han and Luke's relationship is really on screen, by the time mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi ends, Han Solo had never seen Luke Skywalker be a Jedi. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's blind when he's doing it on Jabba's barge. He's out of it, you know, when he's on the planet, when Luke's on the Death Star. He's never seen it. But for him to stand there and look at the two younger actors and go, I used to believe that, too, that there was some all-powerful force controlling everything. No, I didn't believe it either. But the thing is, it's true. All of it. And you go, and, and he's become this, he's held on to who he is, but he's, he now believes and knows that this stuff is true. And that's an interesting growth for that character. To the point where, and again, if you're listening to this, and we should have said it earlier, we're not avoiding spoilers here. We're discussing this completely figuring that if you're listening to this podcast chances are you've already seen the movie when he finally confronts his son later on in the film he believes in the force but he believes in his humanity more that's the the vibe i got from it yeah i get that um i i don't like i like i said i don't see han as an obi-wan or obi-wan-esque type of character and anything i think you know when you see someone like a han solo and you're kind of in shock and awe that you're seeing this person that you think he's a man of myth but it's really the legend right before you and everything um but i i I can from when my friend said he's like obi-wan i can understand to the point of you know ray um and han solo had like this indirect bonding going on and everything but it looked like ray was trying to impress han solo to a degree and vice versa because she has the utmost respect of han solo and everything and i see that more as han solo passing the torch to her than anything else that she's a new han solo from force awakens forward yeah, I, and I, I agree with that. And they, I mean, and let's face it, I've heard somebody refer to it this way, but the Star Wars is not subtle. I mean, if you watch that last scene when they take off in the Falcon and she goes to find Luke, she's wearing a vest. I mean, yeah. it's not it's not Han's vest. It's not as creepy as when Lando's wearing his clothes. But it's it's right up there. Like, it's, it's she's in the same seat. She's doing the same stuff. And it, and it works. And now the Falcon is hers, and... You know, I'm curious to see where the story goes from here. It really, it, it, to me though, I'll tell you this: as, as a fan of Lost and Alias and a lot of J.J. Abrams television work, this felt, in a lot of ways, man, like a television pilot. 
I can no, I can see that. I mean, and I and but I do hope, I really do hope that they don't do that. Like, I like Agent of Shield. I get it, but don't do it. No, <laughs> no, no. Mean, I don't mean. I don't. I don't mean like they're gonna do a TV show. I mean like. If you go back and watch the first episode of Lost, a lot of what ends up paying off in the last season is set up in the first episode. Correct. And and I feel like that's what's going to happen with this. Like a lot of the stuff that we've set up in this movie, uh, you know, they can make seven movies off of the storylines that they've presented. Not to mention you can go back and figure out what happened with other characters. There's a lot of room for stories about what happens in between. You know, you could cast somebody to play. Because now I'm interested to see what happened with Kylo Ren. Why did he go to the dark side? I'm actually curious about that. And I'm more curious about that than I was about Darth Vader. I was never really curious about what made Darth Vader Darth Vader. He was what he is. But what I want to know is why would Han and Leia's kid, you know, and we have this conversation in society, why would a kid who was born into all that kind of power and luxury go to the dark side i feel that that'd be an interesting story to tell and it can still be told and and they've got that available to them you know why what was luke up to the entire time he was gone i'm interested in that story you know why does he look like obi-wan kenobi which is also why i don't buy the han solo as obi-wan because i feel like the end of the movie kind of pretty firmly establishes that going forward luke skywalker will be obi-wan kenobi no, I I think that's going to be the case and everything, and I think I think there's going to be at least four other movies coming out of this with this cast of characters. Yes, yeah, I, I think so too. I think and with each original character dying off, you think so? You think that each movie will feature an original cast member dying? Well, I mean, it all depends. I mean. Again, I I would love to see if Carrie Fisher stays with the movie, not just an actor, but as a writer. Because I think if she has fingerprints all over it, it's going to enhance the movie a little bit. So even if she does die off, you know, as a character, at least she'll stay and everything. But I can see C-3PO possibly fading out, possibly R2-D2 because we like – we like BB-8 a little bit more than <laughs> R2-D2 now. Because um, there's something about, you know, those kind of um, non-human characters that are so interesting to do, especially non-verbal ones, you know. Even though we do, even though there's making beeping sounds, we in our heads can kind of create some sort of um, language that they're saying and we actually understand it, you know. It's almost like... Um, Greek theater when they were in masks and everything that you even though there's no words and everything that were in masks you still understood what the story is by the various masks that they were wearing throughout the play and what have you and with BBA I think it was in that same vein that you know it was this, this cute little I'll say it Dyson <laughs> vacuum looking ball <laughs> and it was made by someone in Sweden and, you know, he just can do a lot more things than R2-D2 can. Yeah, and, and, and his ability to emote is greater just due to the movable head and, you know, some of that. And listen, by the time – here's the thing about the movie that I felt did a really good job is by the time you get to the end of the movie, as much as R2-D2 waking up, it doesn't feel 
it feels like a, you know what it feels like it feels like a bonus it feels like it didn't need to happen but i'm glad that it did but by the end of the force awakens i'm invested with bb8 that i'm not saying i forget about r2d2 but you don't need him does that make sense what i'm saying it does but you do need him because the way it was introduced in the towards that part when they saw r2d2 and he can't wake up because if he's near Luke or if Luke's present, then that's when he starts waking up and everything. So you kind of need him there in order to be that beacon of light to saying, oh, Luke's nearby or Luke is wherever. And that's where we had to use R2-D2 to get to Luke Skywalker at the end. Yeah, it, it was it, – it really I, – I really had fun with – the characters in the new movie, I had fun with all of it, but I see what you're saying that the the, the presence of him is. It, there are questions, you know, as a result of the R2D2 storyline, like what caused him to wake up at that particular moment. Is there right. is, is there some other plan going into faction here? Does Luke have an overall plan? Something along those lines. I don't know. I, I want to get off this. There's a couple of things I want to get into before we uh, call it and uh, for the day. But I, I do want to ask you this. With Luke on the mountaintop, the way that they have him, did you feel that he was angry that she was? Like, the way Mark Hamill played it, I feel like he went through the 12 stages of grief right in front of you with, like, his <laughs> facial expressions. Like, you go, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I don't... Well, go ahead. I don't know. I mean, there was a lot to dissect and digest just seeing Luke when he... You saw him with his back towards you, and then he turned around, and you see the um, metallic hand also because you start bringing up images in your head of you know where he was up to this point, and then we see him with all gray, gray beard, um, his facial expressions and everything, and you kind of, if I was in that situation where I saw him, I would like my whole body would like slightly move backwards, like leaning back because there's a lot to take in with Luke. Um, he's more than a hot mess. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, this man has a lot on his mind and he has an agenda and that's what I'm more waiting for is what he's going to do. I also just really want to see him kick some ass with a lightsaber. I know that that's Plus thing. I mean, when when Ray gave him lightsaber, it's like, oh, it's like giving He Man the sword or Lionel the sword. You know, it's like, oh, it's, shit's going down. Yeah, it, it it sets up beautifully for what's going forward. Next year is Star Wars Rogue One, and then Episode Eight will be in 2017, and then I believe the the rumor is that we'll have a young Han Solo movie in 2018. And then episode nine in 2019. So between Marvel and Star Wars, I know where my movie going budgets for the months are going in the next five, six years. That's right. I mean, it's not even a question. All right, AJ, we're, uh, I think we should close the book right now. I I think officially we're done with Star Wars until at least next year when the new movie comes out. Are are you good on that? Is there anything else you want to add? Well, the only thing I want to add is, and I just want to bring it back up, like I said, at the Pickwick is that I think what J.J. Abrams did with this movie is not just 
him celebrating a great um, movie story, but I feel he also celebrated science fiction and fantasy film in general. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. You're not going to like it, but whatever. Um, You can see a lot of Doctor Who fingerprints in some of this movie in terms of architectural type of things, certain characters and everything. Um, Whether that was intentional or not, it just kind of looked like that. Um, I think um, one of your friends mentioned that there's aspects of um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in there, which I can kind of see that as well. Um, So I see this movie as not only a celebration of Star Wars itself, but also celebration of, you know, we are now moving forward towards better sci-fi films. Well, I would agree with you, except that the new Star Trek trailer doesn't look very good. Uh, (laughs) Well, that's a Star Trek, though. Yeah, go to hell. Uh, Anyway, Star Trek should be on TV. It's that simple. Uh, So... We got it. We're on that. I, there's a couple of things I want to get to. We'll, we'll keep it in the realm of entertainment. This year, uh, we had a bunch of new superhero movies going forward. I want you to kind of look forward, AJ, to next year. And just on a movie basis first, next year is, is set up to be one of the strangest years in movie history. There are, at any given point, I'm just going to read. This is, this is, if you just type in 2016 movies... These are the movies next year, all right? Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice in the title that never ends. Captain America, Civil War, X-Men Apocalypse, Deadpool, Suicide Squad, Ghostbusters, Star Trek Beyond, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, The Jungle Book, Divergent, Independence Day Resurgent, Zoolander 2, uh, there's a sequel to Snow White and the Huntsman coming out called The Huntsman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Ride Along 2, Let's see what else we got here. Warcraft comes out next year in a movie that's been so uh, held back and for post-production that it's disturbing. But yeah, that's that's next year. And then if you go ahead and look at look to 2017, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales, Justice League Part 1, Thor Ragnarok, Fast and the Furious 8, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Avatar 2, live-action Beauty and the Beast, a new Spider-Man movie, uh, Avengers 3, Toy Story 4, Transformers 5, Fantastic Four 2 is still on the schedule, but I'm telling you right now that will not be coming out that year because that movie is going to get rebought back by Marvel. My point, AJ, to you is this. Are you worried about going forward of the lack of creativity in cinema that we're going into this? Just everything needs to be a franchise? I've always been concerned with any movie that is so popular that it turned into a franchise and you can – See, a great example of that is like the Hangover series. Um, Hangover was good by itself. You didn't need two other sequels to make that like a franchise um, or leading up to a franchise. Um, Even like Transformers, the Avengers, stuff like that. It's great that you can tell the story and continue on with it. But when you do that, then you're setting yourself up for a slightly failure because you're now having expectations of the demand of um, nerds and geeks everywhere, you know, and those who are now being introduced to um, comic book movies and graphic novel movies. 
Um, so I am concerned about that. Um, there's some I'm very interested in. I'm, I am going to see the new Ghostbusters with the all-female cast. I think it's going to be great. Um, I'm highly, highly excited to watch Suicide Squad, especially Jared Leto's Joker and everything. I'm more um, interested in Margot Robbie's uh, Harley Quinn. I'm really excited to see Harley Quinn in a live-action movie. I do, and you know, and it's not because of the. Well, I'll just say it. I mean, there is some sort of um, attraction towards Harley Quinn because it's Harley Quinn, you know. But there, Harley Quinn is an interesting character, in so far that how she became who she who she is, and then is now on this Suicide Squad and going against someone who turned her. For what she is, the, the the more that the these movies get ready to come out, the more that we see these franchises up on the horizon. The truth is, we're in this weird period where most of these movies have been good, uh, or at least watchable. I, I would argue, Man of Steel is not very good, but a lot of people liked it. I didn't, but many others did. The thing that I'm concerned with, though, more than anything else, is I don't know if you if you've had the chance yet to see some of the trailers and some of the film stuff that's gotten out about Tarantino. Like I, I I think of it this way, AJ. There's there are filmmakers who make original movies, but there's no one more original, and it's weird because he tends to rip off a lot of people to make original stuff than Quentin Tarantino. And, but other than Tarantino, I really do struggle to think of directors who do different things with cinema the uh, richard Linkletter comes to mind but I, I i don't know if just because it takes you 10 years to make a movie means that you're some sort of creative genius i think that just means you're a weird person the, 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 but i'm trying to think like spielberg is, is hollywood system and his movies have become what everyone copies can you think of any directors who do original stuff maybe scorsese uh, but can you think of anybody else right now working that does original stuff actually I, I i just thought of one george miller with the mad max movie there you go well i guess, I guess that's kind of relative in that you know i'm more of the independent film genre myself so i mean i grew up on tarantino um i grew up on um stanley kubrick um david lynch I'm going to throw Spike Lee in there. Um, yeah, Spike Lee. There you go. There's so, one. So, I mean, so I grew up on those guys and new and the women are coming up now in the independent film genre that they create a lot of original films and everything and they don't get copied by established Hollywood and everything. Whereas you see George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Michael Bay. Um, Michael Bay isn't a director. Michael Bay is a stunt coordinator who films with his stunts. So the title director, Michael Bay, is not correct? I mean, it's correct, but it doesn't... I mean, come on. <laughs> what's the What's the movie that's coming out that's... Uh, oh, Manhunt. Produced by... Risen. It, yeah, Risen. Sorry, Risen. The... Uh, the, man the Jesus Christ. Yeah, the manhunt for Jesus Christ. Did you hear me in the film when that was going on? Oh, yeah. No, everyone was everyone was laughing. That movie got laughed out of the building, which wasn't as bad as the trailer. I, I think you heard me when the trailer for Batman versus Superman ended, and I looked at the theater and went, based on this audience's reaction, doesn't look good. No. 
Because, like, we, we were in a theater full of people, and the Batman versus Superman trailer rolled, and... Like, typically, a trailer, like, a, a movie that people really want to see, you, you get some sort of reaction from the audience. Like, you'll hear people murmuring, or you'll hear people go, like, I really... Like, you'll hear this. I really want to see that. Yeah, 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 we'll go see that. That didn't happen with Batman versus Superman. By the end of that trailer, everyone was kind of like, uh, okay, I mean, I'm going to see it, because it's Batman. But it feels like work to go see that movie. That's the thing, and and, and call me, you know, prejudiced, but I don't think you can make a good DC movie than you could a good Marvel movie. Well, well, especially the way they're doing it now. I've never been the biggest Zack Snyder fan. I don't know about you. Uh, I I don't like the -the over-the-top stuff. It just takes me so out of the movie. I don't know. Did you see Sucker Punch? No. Uh, Sucker Punch was a movie he did before he got involved with Man of Steel, and it's it's all about this girl's hallucinations while she's in a mental institution, and like a, right. a large chunk of it takes place in like a fictitious version of America where Nazi Germany. It's hard to explain, but visually, it's just there's so much going on visually that you never really watch the story. Whereas you watched. Uh, I mean, listen, it's hard to cover this up, but it, and it is fresh in my brain. But last night I watched The Hateful Eight. It's available online. Uh, you can find it if you want. And I watched it, and it's the opposite of a Zack Snyder. Like, he just films large scenes and lets them speak for themselves where the people who try to shove as much stuff as they can into a frame, it, it just starts to, to wear on you. And like you're saying, like the Marvel movies are, are significantly better, and it's hard to explain exactly why. Uh, I think character is a huge part of it. I think that Marvel characters are just inherently more interesting than DC. And that's why Batman is so popular in DC Comics, because Batman is essentially a Marvel character in the DC universe. Well, but that's the thing. I mean, the personalities in a DC character and a Marvel character are two different things. I mean, you're talking about Superman, who is... An alien and God, who he's basically is God, camouflaged as a human, right? So he has to try not to look alien, you know. Batman, he's a perfect Marvel character. I mean, he has the same personalities that all Marvel characters do, and you know, I I wish Stanley or someone would have found that out before DC took took that on and everything. Hey, if you if you really want to. If you really want to know what that's like, there's actually a graphic, uh, a series of comics out there called Stanley Reinvents the DC Universe. Oh wow, that's, that'd be so cool. It's it's not, it's not. No. No, it's uh, because I mean, it was first of all, it's a very commercial uh, comic. Like it right. wasn't done like creatively, and um, but it's the idea. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's a cool I mean, idea. Outside of you know the publishing and all that, I mean, the idea sounds cool. AJ, we're coming up on it here, and I, I wanted to keep it a short show. This is the kind of thing that, that keeps going. I want to do one more show next week where we kind of deal with uh, the news of last year. And I want to do a little bit more prep before we get into that. But just in terms of entertainment, uh, what what are some of the things that you really enjoyed this year? TV shows, books, anything that you, that you really thought was great? And let's exclude the year-long march to Star Wars as part of it. Is there anything... Is there any new shows that you got hooked on or anything like that that, that you really want to talk about? Um, the only thing I got, I don't know, about hooked on. I mean, I, I read Heart, um, 
Harper Lee's new book, um, <clears throat> Ghost Center Watchmen. What'd you think um, of that? I liked it. I liked it. I mean, it's again, Star Wars esque in terms of this is her second book since To Kill a Mockingbird. And it was everything that I hoped for in a Harper Lee book. Um, and if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to read it because, I mean, it does a lot of things. You can, you can, you have like a little, a, a little applause in your head. It was like, oh, there's Atticus, applause, you know, because you know who Atticus finches and everything and what have you. It's um, funny that you mentioned Star Wars with it because at the same time, it's, 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 it's almost like the book version of that. Yeah. We're going to play is. off of the nostalgia. It is. Um, I don't, there's nothing really new. I mean, I'm kind of catching up on, um, some TV shows and all that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm watching a new Doctor Who. I'm watching, there's a new, it's not a new show. It's a show on the BBC called Luther. Um, and that's, and the guy who's on that is winning is nominated for like the NAACP Image Awards and a few other in a Golden. Oh, Award. I'm sorry. Are you referring to the biggest badass on the planet right now in Idris Elba? Yeah, yeah. Who should be playing either James Bond or Batman? Yeah, because he should be because he's fucking awesome. He is awesome. He's for those of you who don't know who Idris Elba is. Let's assume you've seen The Wire. We're talking about Stringer Bell, and he's fantastic actor. Uh. Just some things I get. I, I read the book. I read two books by a new author to me, which I, I'm not going to lie, man. I, I'm really bad about reading new authors. I, I tend to not uh, do that very often. I'm a Stephen King fanatic. I like my Tom Clancy. I like John Grisham. Uh, basically the big hits of the 90s. And I, I those are the authors I tend to read. But I did read uh, Ready Player One and Armada by Ernest Cline. Uh, both of which were fantastic, uh, very 80s references, very, a lot of video game references, a lot of movie references in them. So it was like a book written. It, it, I felt reading it that it was a book written for guys like me, who just their brain is nothing but pop culture. And I read The Martian, which I still haven't seen the right. movie, but I read The I Martian, I... and The Martian was fantastic. Uh, other than that, I'm trying to think, oh, my big new thing of the year is I finally bu uh, buckled down and listened to my nerd friends, and I watched Arrow and Flash. And everyone should be watching The Flash. Arrow is more for comic book fans, but if you want to watch television that is simultaneously joyful and heartbreaking, watch The Flash. It's the best show on television right now. I'm not a big Flash fan. So. Neither am I. I hate the comic book character. I even hated the TV series back in the 90s. But do you know – all right, so here's the cool thing about the show The Flash is it's it acknowledges that that show is bad, but it uses it in a way like that the original Flash from the 90s was bad, but it acknowledges it still. For example, the guy who plays The Flash now is a guy named Greg uh, Gunberg. I think that's his mm -hmm. last name. And he he's fantastic. Oh, God. Uh, it doesn't matter. His name's not important. What's important is that the guy who played the Flash in the original show is an actor named John Wesley Shipp. He plays his father on the new Flash show. Oh, wow. Mark Hamill reprises his role as the trickster. Nice. On the show Flash. And there's even a I am your father moment with the trickster on the show Flash. <laughs> 
and they play the Star Wars like a, a version of the Imperial March when he says it. Uh, it's it's very well done. It's it, but it's a show that's about to say that it's the Flash TV show. Like you instantly put it in this box that it doesn't belong in. Uh, the father on the show is played by Jesse L. Martin, who was the cop on Law and Order, the African American cop for like twelve years. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic in it. There's a lot of really good actors on it. Uh, Tom Cavanaugh, who people would know from like some '80s movies and some '90s stuff, plays the main. Uh, I don't even want to spoil it, but he plays he plays a character on the show named Harrison Wells, who's fantastic. It's 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 it is. It's my favorite show on TV. It's the show I look forward to more than anything else. Even I look forward to that show more than I look forward to John Oliver, and I love John Oliver. But every time The Flash is on, that's, like, my main thing to watch. I love that show. So that's, that's like, my big thing of the year. Like, if I would just say what's the biggest thing that I found that was new is that I, I watched shows on the CW and found myself loving them. Nice. Other than that, I think next week, AJ, uh, whatever day we get in between the holidays, we'll do uh, sort of, like, a political news wrap-up show for the year. And that'll wrap it up for 2015. So we've got basically one more show left in the year, buddy. That's right. Is there anything, let's say, uh, anything you need to plug, anything you want to bring up, anything we should do? No, I can't think of anything right now. Then do what you do, baby. Bye, people. Bye, everybody. This has been Nick Sarantos and AJ Signarian out front with AJ and Nick. Thank you so much for listening. Find us on Twitter at Chicago Podcast. Uh, or, yeah, Chicago Podcast One. Find us on Facebook under Chicago Podcast Network. You can email us, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Uh, keep an eye out on our Facebook page for any events we've got coming up, anything like that. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. We out! This has been a production of the Chicago Podcast Network. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you later. It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.